morning, everybody. It is February 3rd, 2023, also known as Lisa's Wake Up Day. Yesterday was the sixth anniversary of my heart transplant, and I am always filled with a lot of gratitude around this time of year. And I like to share a little bit about Brandy and our our shared journey. Uh, Brandy is my donor's name, and this is Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. And I have an interesting new guest who you're going to get to know and learn a little bit about. And we're going to do an interesting um, kind of airing of somebody's HCM journey in a new and different way. So I would like to welcome Joey Graham to Tales from the Heart. Good morning, Joey. Good morning. Lisa, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Almost too excited to contain. (laughs) Okay. Well, contain yourself. We don't want to hurt your heart. (laughs) For those of you who've been around Tales from the Heart for a while, this is, you know, we're going into our third season and we try to keep things fresh and change things up occasionally. A couple of weeks ago, I had uh, noticed that somebody we had spoken to earlier in the year last year had said, you know, I think I want to vlog my HCM journey. And I'm like, hmm, I got an idea. So we spoke earlier this week and I said, how about we do this together? We help educate, we help inform, and we kind of show the real raw truth of what it is to unpack HCM and start to understand our family health history, understand our own journey, evaluate our wants and needs, evaluate what we need from our families. Let's unpack it and let's let's just be real and raw and just do it. And uh, Joey comes from an interesting background where I thought he could help bring this story to life in a different way. So Joey, who the heck are you? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. I'm still trying to answer that myself. (laughs) I have been a journalist all of my life, worked in a radio newsroom, started out in a very small town in Indiana that had three radio stations, which was unusual, but we had a newsroom, we'd go to city council meetings, school board meetings, commissioners, we covered all the local stuff. Fast forward a few years, I ended up being the anchor at WIBC, which is a news talk station on Monument Circle in Indianapolis. It's sort of like the top of the ladder of the food chain if you are a radio guy. Did that for several years, then decided I didn't want to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning to be at work at 4 a.m. So I started down another path and got on the marketing sales side. So I've always dipped my toe in broadcasting and news and storytelling, and here we are. So where do you live now? So we live in Westfield, Indiana, and we just built a house six years ago. And when I was diagnosed, everything changed. We're selling that house because of all the lawn work. (laughs) And and we're building a new one in a community where they do that for you. We're kind of in a transition right now. We've got dogs, we're in an apartment, and we all work from home. So (laughs) it's a quaint affair here. So who are we? I am married. His name is Richard. Our last name is Graham. I took his last name. My name given at birth was, last name is Olery. It's U-L-E-R-Y. And that's what I went by on the radio for years and years and years and years. Nobody could ever spell it or say it. So uh, I decided this is 
chapter two of my life. So I legally changed my name to take Richard's last name. I joke with him that really the only thing that it changed was we don't have to buy our license plates for our cars at different times anymore because of different last letters, you know, but (laughs) it's Graham's easier to say. I get that. I went from Flanagan to Salberg in one day, so it was a little confusing. I was the Norwegian Swedish girl with the Irish name that married the Jewish guy. Yeah, Uh, there's a story. There's a story and there's an identity issue there. Getting over it. I've been married for 33 years almost, so and I'm still getting used to my my married name. In the HCM community, knows me as Salberg. I'm like, you know, I'm a Flanagan and and I'm a Scandinavian Flanagan at that. You originally contacted the HCMA like last March or so. You went through the intake process. We had a brief conversation and but life was a little bit different for you a year ago, as you kind yeah. of alluded to in the selling of the house and life changes. What was happening a year ago that made it a little challenging for you to get your HCM care kind of managed? A lot, a lot of things happened. It was like the perfect storm, except there was nothing perfect about it. I, on a Friday, just thought I was having a heart attack and my neighbor was a retired doctor and she said, you are absolutely going to have to go to the emergency room. So I, you know, begrudgingly went, thought they're just going to say, you're so stressed, take a minute, take a beat. But instead I got admitted, stayed several nights had all the tests, you know, I had a full-time job at the time. I I honestly, Lisa, don't like to relive what happened to me at work because it wasn't what I expected and it's painful. It's so if I could just leave that that. over that part for now, we're going to, yep. And then, so 10 months later, here we are. And it was like overnight, some things started happening and I thought, I want to share my story and I'm going to try not to, to cry, but my mom, here we go. <laughs> Let's take no. a quick break. No. Moms, <laughs> my, parents make us care. Yeah. Mm. And my mom was not diagnosed with HCM, but I know she had it because we accused her of being a hypochondriac because she would go to the doctor and they would do all these heart tests and then say, you have a really, really healthy heart. And she didn't. And my grandpa didn't. And his dad didn't. And my grandma didn't. And all of my grandparents have died from heart-related issues. My mom just wasn't diagnosed. So I want to tell my story so nobody has to feel that way. It's really hard when we lose somebody and and then we get knowledge. And we say, oh, had I known, had I known. And it goes both ways up and down the family tree. So if, you know, mom was a hypochondriac, (laughs) my father was an overly anxious person and he was a bit of a hypochondriac too, some people would say, until they diagnosed him with HCM and realized that as my father was always told he was anxious. Yes, his father died young. His brother had HCM. His daughters had HCM, but he was just had a lot of anxiety and he was a hypochondriac. When they finally diagnosed my dad with HCM, he said, it's, I feel better knowing it's not in my head, it's in my heart. So I'm like, well, they were just 12 inches off dad. It's about 12 inches. <laughs> um, so it, it is, you know, he got to diagnosis, but it was kind of late for him to do a lot about it. His heart was already kind of destroyed, but your mom died during COVID. Yeah, and which made it so hard because we couldn't be by her side. And like so many other families. 
yeah, it was just, my mom always talked about her funeral like it was going to be like this Macy's Day parade, right? And they were going to shut down the city and she had a whole list of songs. And I'm like, mom, that's like 20 songs. Nobody's going to want to sit for, for 20 songs. You need to. And then all we got to do is this little family gathering. And um, I don't mean to say all we got to do, but you know what I mean? It's not what mom wanted. So we had a memorial service later, but it was so hard during COVID. But the thing that made me, if I could just duck tail onto what you were saying, made me feel good. And this is just being 100% honest is when we connected the other day and just had a raw conversation for the first time, somebody was like, no, everything that you're saying makes sense but everything that you're being told institutionally is all jumbled up and i just felt like i it was all in my head it was like left was no longer left and up was no longer up because yesterday left was right and today it's left and it just drove me crazy and i honestly blame myself for it oh don't blame yourself there's a no, lot I, mean, I did blame myself for it until I talked to you. Good. Well, take that burden off of you. Let's take a little dive in. And, you know, as we go through our intake process here at the HCMA, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I don't play one on TV. I don't play one on podcast. I'm an advocate. <laughs> and I've got 27 years of working with families like yours. And we've done this over 15,000 times with 15,000 families. So the first thing we do is like, okay, what, what's the landscape, right? So when I was a kid and we used to travel a lot in cars, like go on road trips, we were into maps and I got to write, I got to look at the map and figure out where we were going. So I think of the map in HCM as your echocardiogram and your MRI, like what does the map say? Right. And we looked at your map and there's a lot of information missing from the map. Yeah. Like I, I, I know where the lakes are and the rivers are, but I don't know where the roads are because <laughs> the measurements aren't there. So there's information missing. And your right. MRI had some more information, but not all of the information. So I'm like, okay, I, I don't even know what options are on the table for you right now. So we're going to have to find a center for you and we're going to engage you in that center. And then we'll take the next step and figure out what the options are going to be. As I work anybody through this process, it's okay, find out what your insurance will cover, where you have access to, get an appointment. See how far you can travel. Now, as of last year, we started a new fund for, for individuals who don't have financial resources to get there. So if you're listening and you're like, I can't get to a center, I don't have the money. We will pay up to $600 awesome. a year in travel for people who can't get there. We have those resources. And all you have to do is apply. There's some rules you got to apply by. But if you're in a situation where you can't get there, we're going to help you get there. So you're going to evaluate your options for where you can travel to. And I think right now, you know, you're kind of in this weird spot in the country where you could go to Cleveland, you could go to Chicago, you could go to St. Louis, you've got a couple of different options and they're all about the same distance away. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're thinking about making your decisions on which center is right for you? People keep mentioning Cleveland to me and I don't, I, I, I guess in my mind, I just have committed to Cleveland. I've, uh, trust me, I've had 10 months, I've been on their website, on your website. I have consumed more YouTube videos and podcasts about hearts than I care to admit. But I have found that there is an, a misunderstanding that people confuse clogged arteries 
and heart disease with hypertrophy. And they are not even the close cousin, you know, and that uh, there are a lot of doctors that do plumbing on your heart and clean out those arteries, but there are not a lot of specialists, as you're saying, regionally to have that done. So, but it's a good question. I'm, I'm leaning towards Cleveland Clinic, but I'm certainly open to look, you're going to, I'm like deferring to you because you took, you took my call. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So let's explain how that part works. I'm never going to tell you where to go. I'm going to okay. give you suggestions and it's going to be up to the individual and your family. And you're going to look at, you know, what fits into your life. And if you have to go back multiple times, what's the easiest to get to and what will your insurance allow and all of those things. You have three good options. You have three yeah, good options. There are three HCMA recognized centers of excellence, and they each have a pretty long history. Cleveland, I've been working with since the very, very beginning. So since 1996, Northwestern, I think that's going on like 10, 15 years and about the same for St. Louis. So I have good, deep relations there. They have good, deep knowledge of HCM, strong teams. So you've got three really good options in that circle around you. We'll make that choice for further evaluation. And then you have to kind of go kind of back to the drawing board. And we're probably going to revisit almost all of your tests. Yeah. So what tests have you already had? I had an echogram, which I'm going to just say was not a big deal, you know, like it was easy peasy. Mm -hmm. And then I, they put me through a heart cath and I don't remember much about that. I had an, a cardiac MRI, which <laughs> <laughs> that was a long few minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, you know, and then just what is it, the EKG ticker or whatever? I always have this great big spike in my heartbeat, and it's like a tall upside down V. So there's an electrical problem. But those are the basic tests I've had, you know, just some chest x rays and that other, other normal light cardiac tests. Have you done a halter monitor or an event monitor yet? I have done the halter. Um, I think it was for three days. I have not done a stress test yet. Oh, we use stress echocardiogram, not a straight stress yeah. test. Well, so, I'd flunk that. Yeah, you probably are going to. So, <laughs> yeah. the so stress I, test. I think the reason that they did a cardiac cath on you was to rule out coronary artery disease early on because we okay. didn't have a clear diagnosis. So it's not an inappropriate test based no, no, on no. your symptoms but it's not something that we do regularly in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in terms of management, unless you're going in for surgery or a procedure. We shouldn't have to redo that test anytime soon. So the echo, the echocardiogram, the stress echocardiogram, the MRI may or may not need to be redone depending upon how good the quality of the MRI was and which protocols they use. And then we'll kind of hit the reset button on you and get you evaluated by a center. Now we're gonna take a dive down the then walk. Okay. So okay. there's two paths that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the structure of your heart, whether you have outflow tract obstruction, meaning the blood can't leave the ventricle properly. We're going to look at the valves, make sure your mitral valve's in good shape and it's closing right. We're going to assess your left atria. We're going to look at that atrial size. The bigger your left atria is, that's the top chamber of the heart. You dilate out your left atria, which is a common thing in HCM. But the more dilated your left atria becomes, the higher risk you are for atrial fibrillation, which is a yeah. risk for stroke, which is right. anticoagulants. And there's a whole path we go down there. So we want to assess the atria. 
the valve, the ventricle, the outflow tract. And we're going to look at the whole ventricle. We're going to see where it's thick. Is it the septum? Is it the outside wall, the lateral wall? Is it just at the bottom of the heart? The pictures that we saw of your heart already, you look like you have septal hypertrophy, and then it goes down into the apex. But it's not concentric. It's not all the same measurement. So a normal heart is about 1.1 in thickness. So one centimeter, 1.1, 11 millimeters. We didn't do metrics very well in this country, people. So <laughs> I have to explain this all the time because right. we didn't get on the bandwagon. We should get on the bandwagon. <laughs> I'm going on my metric thing, but we're not going to go yeah, there. That took a turn. Yeah, yeah that took a turn. That took turns. <laughs> Like, hold on, Joey. We're going down paths. We're going in rabbit holes. God only knows where we're going to land. Just bring, so, hold my hand. You know, who thought that HCM could be uh, entertaining and funny, too? <laughs> I know, right? We're all here. The wall should be equal. It should be 1.1, maybe 1.2 is like your your threshold of like, it's getting, it's getting a little too thick. So between 1.2 and like 1.4, that could be hypertensive heart disease unless you're in an HCM gene positive family, anything over 1.3, we consider HCM. So once you hit 1.5, this is the diagnostic criteria of HCM. So your septum looked like it was like 17, 18. The apex looked like 14, 15, but that was a community-based echo and your MRI looked a little bit thicker than that. So we got to figure out what's going on there. We have not really assessed for outflow tract obstruction, but there does appear to be a little SAM. Who's SAM? SAM is in your heart. Okay. SAM stands for systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve. Okay. So if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, you'll see Lisa's hearts by hands. Um, If this hand is your septum and this hand is your mitral valve, they shouldn't touch. Your mitral valve should go open, close, open, close. When you have SAM, the piece of the mitral valve can reach over and touch your septum like this. And the longer it connects, the higher the pressure gradient. So that's obstruction. That's one mechanism of obstruction. You can obstruct in the mid cavity, looking more like an hourglass so that the walls of the heart can kind of hit in the middle. I have props. Mm-hmm. Did you know I had props? I love that. I, props. I don't know what you're going to pull up next. You don't know what's coming next. Well, it could I, be. Uh-uh. My heart's literally on the table today. So who knows what's going to pull up today? Um, she's over there, though. She's a little far. <laughs> I know. We're wacky. But we're going to assess your anatomy. And we're going to see if you're uh, uh, structurally, if you're needing to handle you know, anything related to obstruction. And then we would look at what are the treatment options you have to deal with the obstruction. And there's a number of things. There's basic meds, there's more complicated, newer meds, and there's surgical procedures and catheter-based procedures. So we have to kind of unpack that. The second thing we're going to look at, which is completely separate, and they have to be looked at in their own silos. So we look at the structure and we look at the map and we figure out what's going on there. Then we look at the conduction and the electrical system of your heart. So Joey, I want you to think of your heart like a house. In the walls of your house, you have plumbing and electricity. Inside the walls of your heart, you also have plumbing and electricity. So you've got your coronary arteries that run through the heart muscle itself. And then you also have an electrical system that tells your heart it's time to be, it's time to be, it's time to be. So those big spikes that you're seeing on your EKG, those are not necessarily electrical problems. Those spikes are measuring how powerful the heart is at each point of the contraction. 
So those big spikes are showing lots of energy and thick muscle. So the wonkiness of the beat, like if you look at the Tales from the Heart sketch yeah. behind you, that's my old heartbeat. Is it um, really? Yeah, it is. I, I use my own. That's, that's cool. That's my wonky little beat there, pre-transplant. So that's an end-stage heart failure heart. Your EKG showing those big volts is just showing power. It's not showing arrhythmia. Which is, which is that good or bad? It's not good or bad. It's just you. Okay. So if your heart was thinner, so think about, think about those volts, that power. You put 12 leads on. Each lead takes a different part of your heart, and it shows how much energy is going through that part of your heart. Okay, so silly thing. People are like, oh, it's my QRS, and they talk about your T waves and U waves. And- U waves. And I'm like, one day, I'm like, what do all those, they, what do they mean? Like, I'm thinking there's like some technical name, what, it, what S stands for, T stands. No, it's alphabetical, people. It could be oh, A, B, C, D, E, but it's QRS to you. For whatever reason. They just gave it letters. Letters. So right. don't worry about like, you know, it just each, okay. each little beat has, has a letter attached to it. So we have to get a little complicated in cardiology. We can't call tachycardia fast heartbeat, but tachycardia is a fast heartbeat. Bradycardia is slow heart rate, but we call it Brady and tacky just to keep you on your toes. Your electrical system needs to be evaluated to see if you are prone to arrhythmias. And we're going to then take the map and the electrical information with your symptoms and your family history. And we're gonna assess risk of sudden cardiac arrest based on all of these factors. And we haven't really gotten there with you yet. We need to get there. And that's what you're gonna do at a center. We're gonna take all of the pieces of the puzzle. We're gonna put them together with somebody who knows how to put this puzzle together because it's a complicated puzzle. It's not a yes or a no. It's not an, oh, you have this little thing. So boom, we have to do something. It's a complicated maze and it takes time and a team of experts to help you get through it. And we're going to unpack this over the next maybe six to eight months. And when you have an interaction with your healthcare providers, we're going to come back and go, okay, we got an update on Joey and here's what we've learned. Now, as we learn, you're going to make decisions and you're going to participate in something called shared decision making. It's a science but not everybody understands it. So your doctor will say, I'm gonna help you in shared decision-making. And you're gonna tell them, I'm really interested in addressing this symptom or I wanna live this kind of life. I'm willing to do these types of procedures. I'm willing to take these types of meds. I'm willing to do these things. What is the right thing for me? And then the doctor will give you some suggestions. Now here's the part of shared decision-making that I don't think is working quite well yet. And that's you understanding how you're going to share in that decision-making. You're going to tell them what you want, but what do you really understand about the options being presented to you? Yeah. I'm hoping over the next six months or a year, we're going to unpack those decisions as you're making them and we can talk it out. I have a feeling we're going to, we're going to go down some rabbit holes that are interesting. You know, some people don't like certain types of medication because Mm -hmm. of the side effects or the potential side effects of those medications. And we'll talk those out. Like, here are the options. Here's the meds. Do they have you on any medication right now? Metoprolol. Metoprolol, yep. Common drug. Uh, 200 milligrams a day. Listen, I could give you, I'd have to go pull the file, but it's like I'm on 10 different medicines. The the metoprolol makes me, it really has um, an exhausting, heavy side effect. Like it, I feel worn out all the time, which when you marry that to 
the complications I already have with my heart, it, you know, doesn't always make for a fun day. I have really good days and I have really bad days and I really can't predict from day to day what's next. Is it a good one or bad one? So that is a really excellent point. So let's dive down good day, bad day, rabbit hole. It is a known phenomenon. So much so, buckle up people, we're going on a ride. Okay, <laughs> so last week I was in Boston at a conference and it was a conference of drug makers who all think that they wanna help us feel better and they wanna make drugs for us. Great, more people on the ship, let's get a bigger boat, let's bring them all in, they can help us feel better. But they use something called clinical trial endpoints to help us derive these drugs and get them to market. And the problem is, they use something called New York Heart Association class to determine whether or not we're better or not. HCMA has started to ask its questions a little bit differently on intake. And if you were somebody in the past, you know, four to six weeks who called us, you got asked questions a little bit differently than we've been doing it before. And we ask you on your average day, how do you feel? And we give you the New York Heart Association class scoring. And you tell us on an average day, you know, I get a little winded walking upstairs and I get a little tired, but I function mostly well. So that's a two. That's a New York Heart Association class two. So average day two. On a really good day, how do you feel? Oh, I'm perfect. I can walk as far as I want. I can hike. I can, I'm great. And I feel like normal. You're a one. Okay. When you're having one of those bad days, how do you feel? I can't get off the couch. I'm just tired. I just want to sleep. That's a three. Could even be a four. Mm-hmm. Now, typically, New York Heart Association class is a stable number. When you have heart failure symptoms, you get a class and you stay there. We don't do that. We have good days. We have bad days. We have average days. So out of 37 consecutive people who called into the HCMA just over the past couple of weeks, we asked them this question, how do you feel? Out of 37 people, only five were stable in a class. Two wow. were stable ones. Two were stable twos and one was stable three. They were always in that heart class. If we're going to develop new medications, so you don't have all these side effects, how are we going to determine if they're working or not? I've gone out to pharma and some other partners and we have some really big meetings coming up where we're going to help maybe figure out some new clinical trial endpoints. And just so you know, this is about a $2 million proposition to validate a new endpoint. And we've got some fantastic partners that are coming to the table that want to help us solve this problem. We've got some big work to do. That good day, bad day thing that you're feeling is so normal. After I watched a man named Otto, and I don't want to give it away. Mm-hmm. I know you went, what, last night? Oh, yeah. That's my second that? viewing last night. Yeah. Yeah. Until I saw it play out on the screen, the most benign things in my life that I never gave a thought were contextualized. It was like... A couple times I had aha moments that just, you know, you were talking about in a post today that when after your transplant, you woke up and you couldn't hear your heart beating. It sounded so silent. Just those little subtle things. When I saw Tom Hanks on screen, I was like, wow, I'm seeing some things that happen to me. And I think right now is our time for our story, right? That's why I want to do my vlog and and work with you, make sure everything's accurate is because of a man named Otto, the movie. And because, you know, there's speculation about Lisa Marie, did she, what was her deal? I mean, no, but we don't know. 
uh, what about Elvis? What about her grandma? What about, you know, all these things, the football player that died and we watched it on, on, on national TV after he uh, got, you know, tackled. And now is the time. Now is the synergy for this. Everybody is kind of paying attention right now. So that's why I feel like it's our time to tell it. I think it's our time to tell it for a lot of reasons. You know, there's some media pop. So the uh, Bills player probably suffered from Kamosha cordis. I don't have a clinical diagnosis on him, but that's the speculation. The CPR response was amazing that we got there that quickly. And I'm really happy to hear that he has partnered with the American Heart Association to get out there and spread awareness about CPR and AED use. We repackaged a 12-year-old program called Drill Dr. Heart. Oh, look. I made the front page of the newspaper locally with it this week. Uh, I shared it. 2010, <laughs> and I was in heart failure, so I'm not particularly happy about the picture, but I love the byline there, like, boom. And we got two whole pages, and it- Dr. Hart is a program that helps educate, right? It educates on the preparedness for cardiac arrest. So we know you got to go get your CPR training and your AED training, critical. But in the moment, what do you do? Do you know who's getting the AED, where the AED is, if there's an AED, who's calling 911, who's CPR certified, what are your state laws, who can do CPR with Good Samaritan coverage, who can use an AED with Good Samaritan coverage. And the challenge is being launched today. So this is kind of the announcement of the formal launch. And what you're going to do is you're going to practice it, you're going to film it, you're going to post it, and you're going to share it on social media. And under your classification, so you'll choose a class, whether you're a team, a school, a workplace, house of worship, or community center, each one of those classes, the highest engaged piece will win an AED. Thank you to FibTech and Marstown Medical Center for, uh, Marstown is putting up, uh, and and Matt Martinez and the HCM program are putting up one AED and DeFibTech is putting up three. Go do the challenge. We're going to give away AEDs. That's awesome. The whole thing is awesome. You know, just growing up, not paying attention too much. I I walked down hospitals and schools and um, courthouses and walk right by and not give it a second thought. Right. But boy, my point of view has has changed after my February diagnosis. And um, you, you really need to pay attention to where those things are, because timing is everything like we saw during the football game everybody was in the exact right place at the exact right time and responded and that's important so i'm going to take a moment and do go back in time 30 years march 1990 young man named hank gathers was playing basketball he had a known diagnosis of hcm and he was still playing thought it would be okay and he takes a shot turns around, goes halfway down the court, kind of leans on his knees for a minute. There's a look on his face that we all recognize, like, "Uh uh-oh, something's not right. And he turns and he collapses. And then he gets back up. And then he collapses into his coach's arms. And he's on the ground. And everybody's just looking at him. They're just looking. It's 1990. There's no AEDs. There's no plan. And this young man is going down. And they stand there and they hold his hand as he dies in front of everybody. That was 33 years ago. It's awful. And this event, 
that we all witnessed a month ago, it was such a different, such a different reaction. Yeah. DeMar goes down and we all watched, uh, you know, the scene where he just kind of gets up and then he's never quite steady on his feet and he's down and the EMT trainer comes out. I counted it out. It seemed like 10 seconds when I counted it uh, until hands were on him. There was an immediate assessment and there was immediate CPR. AED was brought. It was utilized. And we all know how that played out. We don't all have an EMT level person watching us at the moment of our collapse. Right. You've got your family, you've got your coworkers, you've got your congregation, you've got your teammates. Are they ready? And that's what Drill Dr. Hart is all about, being ready to respond. Hopefully you never need it. Hopefully you never, ever need it. But you should know. You never know when it's going to happen. I had somebody pass out literally at my feet at a restaurant that had a nice deck outside. I got little drunk and passed out that he didn't have a cardiac arrest, but he literally fell into my table and like was at my feet. And I'm like in a like maxi dress and like not thinking like I'm going to be doing CPR this day. And I looked down and there's this man like out. And I, I looked down and his eyes are wide open and he's just staring. And I'm like, Oh God, this is real. I actually have to do this. And like I'd been trained and I'm like, someone call 911. I'm sorry, sir, sir, are you awake? And he's not responding. And I go to flip mm-hmm. him over. And this is before my transplant. I go to flip him over. And as I flip him over, he, he gasps and he takes a breath. I'm like, oh. I don't have to do that. But you never know when the moment. Never is. know. And, and, and just that's such a, an incredible moment in time where it's like it, you are the one that is in that seat. And it's like, I want to make sure I know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm not just a person that sits at the table and stares at a person on the floor, right? I, I, I want to know exactly what I'm supposed to do and have no question about the procedure. We want to be a helper. Right. So then let's unpack the next thing that happens in January. So we okay. know tomorrow, we, we, everybody's talking about cardiac arrest and CPR preparedness. So we relaunch our program for this month and we got that going. One note on, on Drill Dr. Hart. So it's open today. We're going to be pitching it through the month. So we're going to give everybody time to go do their drills and to post their drills. And we will, we're going to give you a good long time to do this. The drawing, the, the decision day is April 23rd. Why is it April 23rd? April 23rd was my father's birthday. Mm-hmm. My father, now I'm going to cry. You ready for this one, Joey? I'm ready. So my dad attempted to do CPR on his father in 1953. Oh my gosh. He was 18 years old, came home <gasps> the eve of his high school graduation and his father was in cardiac arrest. And um, it didn't. <sighs> and years later, on June 12th, 1995, when my sister had her cardiac arrest, my father was the first responder and my father did CPR on his daughter and he didn't have to get her back, but there were no AEDs on the ambulance at that time. We got them on six months later. Um, So there was too much brain damage and Lori didn't survive the arrest because of the brain damage. But as I was looking at the calendar, I'm like, how much time should we give them? And I'm like, this is dad's birthday gift this year. 
So, um, and, if it, and if it works, I'm hoping that we can make this an annual event and hopefully, you know, not only get people to start doing these drills, but let's start legislating this. We should all be, you know, our schools and our workplaces should be drilling for cardiac emergencies, just like we do for fire drills. We lose more people to cardiac arrest than fires. Yeah, and that's the thing. How, how many family members have you lost? I've lost so many. You've lost seven, eight. So if I go back to about 1900, I can say my great uncle, my great grandmother, my grandfather, some of his siblings we're not 100% sure of. So right there, there's probably five or six down that line. Wow. And then from my grandfather, my uncle, my dad, my sister, all too young, um, yes. lost, lost to HCM complications, a great aunt along that as well. So there's, there's like a whole, the whole bunch of them. And I've got two little babies into family now in the HCM mm -hmm. pathway who may or may not yeah. be related to, you know, we don't know their status yet. So yeah. we're going to stop this. We're not going to lose anybody unnecessarily. We're going to be protected and, and we're going to do what we need to do. So we got, we got like 15 minutes more here. So I got to okay. wrap up okay. what else happened in the month. So then Otto comes up. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I go to the movies because I'm expecting to be angry because they're probably not going to depict HCM very well. And I left crying. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, Tom Hanks. I don't know right. why you get an Oscar, Tom. I don't know why. I don't understand that. <laughs> I think you should have gotten a freaking Oscar. I yeah. will give you an Oscar. I will, right. I will give you an HCM heart. You're part of the club now. We love you. That was great. Rita. It was. Great. Truman. Great. The Hanks family. Knocked it out of the park. Love you all. Come talk to me. For we real. An opportunity. And within three weeks, we're like, we're going to do a thing. We're going to rent a theater. We're going to have a movie. So last night we had our, our first viewing of a man called Otto and we all were, our, we're all not grumpy like Otto t-shirts and <laughs> we, we got the conversation going and we talked to some people with HCM and how they resonated with the movie. And it was a great night. So thank you to everybody who showed up last night. We're thinking maybe we're going to do it a couple more times, but we'll figure out that the last couple of weeks have been a little crazy here trying to get everything done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lisa Marie Presley's story. Heartbreaking. Now, I cannot tell you that the Presley family has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy mm -mm. definitively. I do not know that. Nobody knows that right now. But what we do know is this. Elvis's mother died at the age of 47 of what appears to be heart failure-related complications. We all know that Elvis had a very public battle with addiction, but there might be a reason for that. Absolutely. When you have HCM and you're not feeling well and you need something to perk you up so you can perform for people, maybe they gave right. him a little something to help him. How are you going to get your heart rate down? So they gave him a little something. Not the right way to manage his people. There are better ways. So I'm going to say something here that might get me in trouble with some people, Joey. Okay. I've never been a huge Elvis fan. I've just always liked oh, Elvis. I've kind of been there. <laughs> the music's always been there. You know, we all yeah. love but I've never been somebody who's like totally down on Elvis <laughs> until I started researching his family history. And I have, I think I understand him a little bit. Kind of like too. I understand Otto. Yes. Why? You can see it. You can see in the 70s Elvis uh, th that he's clearly got a struggle going on. His weight is up, his energy's down, and he's not eating right because he's straining. All these things, you can just see it. It like You don't even have to explain it to me now. Like, you know, I see it on screen and it's like, oh. Uh, I'm going to say something that I wouldn't have said publicly beforehand, but I reached out on multiple occasions to the Graceland people and just said, hey, I saw the special that said 
Elvis had a mutation for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It was a 2014 TV show out of England. They got a strand of his hair. They tested it. Yeah. Had a myosin binding protein C mutation. So they claim, uh, you know, I'm just saying what I saw. Right. So I said, hey, if this is in the family, if you need anything, if you need any resources, it's private. I'm, you know, I'm here. They never called. They never, they never reached out. So they've got a lot going on right now. Absolutely. But at any point in time, they, they wanted to reach out and talk. We would be here for them. Um, we have a number of people that you would not expect to be clients of the HCMA maintain their privacy. And some of them are people that you see every day on TV, and I'm not going to tell you who they are. Yeah. <laughs> their story to tell, not mine to tell for them. Someday, maybe they'll come around and say, yeah, I want to tell my story. We're here for you when you want to do that. Well, that's why I want to tell my story, Lisa, is because I hope that it inspires somebody else that's going through the struggle of they hear things from doctors, but it doesn't trigger bells for them. So I want to share my journey. So that's why I'm even here today is so somebody else doesn't have to go through what you went through what I'm currently going through, I, I want it to get a little easier with with each generation to where we just, you know, can treat this and, and move on and live. That's the key point here, right? So we have these three aha moments in January to set us up for heart month where, where we're, we're at right now. And it's go red for women day. Go red for women day. Did my red, got my earrings. Thanks. It's my only red shirt. <laughs> I have to get a couple more. Well, I know. <laughs> We got to get a couple more out there. These earrings are available on the Facebook group right now. A lovely young lady has made them and they're um, actually like made out of clay. They're very soft and very light. So it's my, it's my double heart week. So I wear them. So they're fun. We have a lot to teach people and we're going to unpack Joey's journey. We're also shout out to Eric Swanson from our Facebook group who reached out to me also this week to say, Hey, I think I want to do some podcasting and tell different stories of HCM. So Eric, breaking news here. We're gonna set up an HCMA discussion group about how to share your story and how to use your social media feeds to tell an accurate, medically sound story and lead people to trusted sources of information in in an organized way. And then we'll kind of dovetail that into the website and our media reach. And we're gonna start talking about HCM stories in every community. I don't care where you live in the world. There's HCM in your neighborhood. We're out there. We're everywhere. You see us every day, but you don't know it. Right. We look so normal. Right. And good. We look so good. Damn good. (laughs) No, I, you know, I, I can go back to my heart failure, Lisa. Like, okay, this was not my highest moment. I was giving a talk. See how bloated my face is? That is a heart failure face. I was struggling then. I couldn't breathe and I was trying to be normal. My heart just wasn't going to let me be normal anymore. So it was an amicable divorce. She had to go and I needed to stay. And it's been six years. Six years. I can't. I mean, that's incredible. It really is that you have a new heart in you and you're feeling better. I mean, honestly, Science just keeps, you know, thank you, science, (laughs) and thank you to the doctors that take the time to learn this and be the experts at the centers of excellence and absorb this. 
I could not agree more. I, I put a post on my LinkedIn page this morning about this. You know, some people will use words like, it's a miracle. It is not a miracle. It is hard work. It is yeah. failure after failure after failure, long nights away from your family. It is struggling to meet endpoints and struggling to get people in clinical trials and struggling to find the right methods of treatment. I mean, for, for God's sakes, the first transplant in the United States was done the year I was born, 1968. And then they stopped doing them through most of the 70s because everybody went into rejection and died. Not until they oh, came wow. up with cyclosporin as kind of a mistake that they realized it suppressed the immune system and allowed the organ to stay. And we've gotten so much better with anti-rejection medication. I take two anti-rejection pills a day, one and a half milligrams of tacrolimus twice a day. That's pretty much all I need in some stats. It's a, that's think. amazing. It I take really less is medicine amazing. with a new heart than I did with my HCM heart. Trying to keep that <laughs> thing chugging along. I don't know where you get all your energy, actually. With I mean, my I, I forget you're a heart transplant patient because you are a busy lady, and it, I think that's awesome. But it's a story that it's too exciting with the things that are happening to just sit still, you know. And there were some people that didn't make it for the journey, so we have to pick it up and tell it we do your mom my dad my sister all the others that have been lost i don't think a day goes by that i don't come into my office and sit down at the desk and somebody will go through my mind who's not here anymore somebody who didn't make the long haul journey with us um, a dear friend irene who did not make it through her transplant i was thinking um thinking of an old friend, one of my first HCM friends, who was the first person, one of the first people I knew who HCM transplanted. His name was Chuck Morrell. Hi, Holly. And I was thinking of Chuck the other day and how I wish he was here to be part of this journey now, because I think he would really get a kick out of where we're going with things now. There's just been so many wonderful people over the years and some that, some that we lost way too soon. And we learned that we think we know HCM and we think we can control a lot of it. But sometimes it's a little craftier than we know how to deal with and we don't yeah. always win uh, and i don't like it when i'm not in control right like when i can't be the person at the driver's seat i don't like that and that's hard for me to accept how auto of you <laughs> <laughs> too big of a heart too big of a heart for auto yeah uh -huh. i, I thought yep. that, that was you know we're not going to ruin the whole movie for everybody who no no yet. but there's this underlying theme through auto that he wants to control certain things in his life. You know, like I only want five feet of rope. I don't want six. I don't care. It's like 30 cents, you know, like, cause, cause why? Like I can control that thing. I can't control this heart in my body or right. whether or not I'm going to pass out tomorrow in the middle of the street or right. not. I, I just don't, you, you don't, you can control certain things. And I had a little like, you know, epiphany moment last night in front of everybody in the studio that, or the, the theater that was there. I said, uh, you know, some of you know me pretty well. And you know that like control freak thing of autos? <laughs> not familiar to anybody? No. Uh -uh. I got a couple laughs out of that one because um, <laughs> I know what I can help you control. And I think um, my path has been to empower others. Here is information. I can't fix it for you, but I can tell you, here are things you need to think about. Here are things you need to do. And we're, we're creating new systems through the HCMA that are gonna make it easier for more people to hear these messages 
without having to wait for a phone call. So we're going to have some new automated systems coming up that we're going to be launching on the 22nd. So everybody should sign up and be with us live on the 22nd for as much time as they can be. We're going to do an afternoon session and an evening session. Last year, I went eight hours live. Oh, my gosh. I was thinking. That like was Jerry insane. Lewis. <laughs> I w- it was kind of like a little Jerry Lewis telephony <laughs> thing. Um, we will have a donate now button going on through the day, but like that's that was not the purpose. It was I had so much content to share that I, I went eight hours. So we're wow. going to go like three hours in the afternoon. We're going to break for two or three hours. And then we're going to come back in the evening and we're going to have some really interesting conversations. And oh, by the way, I was thinking that we, we may have you in that night as well. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit. So, Joey, this is the starting point. I'm going to give you the last words today. Where do you want to be in a year? I want to be on the other side of knowing how my journey gets better. I want to have clearer answers to questions that 10 months out from diagnosis, I still don't have. And those have been long, long, long 10 months. I want people to know that there is a Facebook group that I'm a part of and you're a part of that is really, it's a deep well of knowledge and emotion and support and non-judgment. So join the Facebook page for our group, the HCMA. I don't know if we need to link it or whatever, but if you're not a member. We got Ross dropping links as we're talking. Awesome. Um, It's a safe community. It is. It's, it's almost 10,000 of your big-hearted friends in there right now, believe it or not. I think we joined Facebook in 2008-ish and uh, kind of slowly got going, but we, we add about 500 to 1,000 people every couple of months now. People are finding us. It's a safe group. It's a moderated group. You have to answer the questions to get into that one, but you can follow us on our Facebook page. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram. Quick shout-out to Carrie who is part of our HCMA group. She's been from day one. We don't know each other, we've never Uh met, but she's been my biggest cheerleader and inspiration. That's so So I just wanna say hi to her. Hi, Carrie. That's great. I wanna just give a roundup shout out to our sponsors of Tales from the Heart, Bristol Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, Tanaya Therapeutics, Imbria Pharmaceutical, and Biomarin, we have genetic therapies coming for HCM this year. Mind-blowing. Yeah, we've got a lot going on. We've got new medications, new company that um, is being formed, focusing on um, the fibrosis pathway of HCM that I'm in discussions with right now. So much happening, people. Joey, thank you so thank much for sharing your story. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. See you soon.